get started to start with the jibber jabber you know what oh, i'm saying yeah. absolutely Hello and welcome to another episode of Toxicology, brought to you by Recovery Unplugged. Here at Toxicology, we talk all things addiction, recovery, and mental health. Tonight's guest, author and interventionalist, Jeff Gould. I'm your co-host, Jason Cabello, and as always, your host and mine, Joseph Gorordo. Welcome back to what is set to be a raucous episode of Toxicology. Uh, hello, every, everybody out there in the streaming lands, and welcome. Um, we're glad to, to have you back. If you're a first-time listener, um, welcome. Uh, we're going to have a good time. Speaking of good time. We're reunited, yeah. and it feels yeah, so good. Yeah, we're both on. Yeah, it's you know, it's it, it really makes me sad when I'm not able to be on the show, but it is a fun treat for me to get to listen to it the next day. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so I listened to last week's episode, Jason, with Johnny, and um, absolutely loved it. It's fantastic. What a what a great guy Johnny is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to fast forward the parts where you're like, oh, Joseph's got 14 years. Like, yay, we love you, Joseph. I'm sure. Then how did you know verbatim what I said? Yeah, like that in that <laughs> voice, right? How have you been, buddy? What's what? I feel like I talk a lot on our, on our jibber-jabber. That's fine. Well Greg, well, Greg popped on for a second. Um, I'm pretty good, man. It's, uh, you know, where I... Uh, little little stressed with work but that's okay gifts of recovery i have a job that i love i i do i have a a job being creative uh, and that's all uh that's all i ever wanted <laughs> you know what though I, I think we're kind of on the same same wavelength this week you know i too have been a little stressed at work um due to some uh so, some changes i've i've been very much present at the facilities this week, which I normally don't get to do very often. Right. Um, but that's but you good. know what? It's been really good. Like getting yeah. to spend some time, like really sitting and getting to know um, some of the folks who are in treatment right now. And uh, man, it just reminds you what this is all about. Right. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was out in Nashville a couple months back and, and really was just there, um, you know, meeting clients. I got to go to the alumni meeting and it's a little bit, you know what I mean? It's different than just going down the street to the facility here, which is great. Like you get to see another, a whole nother way of the way they do things at Recovery Unplugged, which is um, a place that saved my life and, and is saving hundreds of lives every single day, making the world a better place. One okay. song at a time. Calm down. They don't pay us that much, Jason. <laughs> um, but you know what's wild, though, is like even like, you know, we're working in recovery, right? We've talked about this some, you know, like we, you know, we deal with death and we deal with loss and we see a lot of really hard things. Yes. Um, and, you know, we see clients who come to us and have been like, I've been to 30 treatment centers. You know, you yourself, right? What, 20 something treatment centers? Before 19 you, and then recovery unplugged was yeah. my 20th time in treatment yeah but like it's still it's still just ex as exciting you know as as the first time i saw it happen like to see someone like get some hope and to see someone who's in treatment like 
really trying to get everything that they can to right. change their lives. Yeah. And, you know, it, and it's hard for seasoned vets of going to treatment, you know, when it's just like, what am I going to learn this time that I didn't learn the other umpteen times that I've been to treatment? And it's, uh, you don't really learn, you don't really, I didn't hear anything different my last time in treatment. I didn't hear anything that made, like, I didn't have, like, some huge epiphany. It was just my perspective changed a little bit. And it's like when, when you see that happen, like, I love it. I do. How are you? Man. Wait, Joseph, you're here and you're there. You're commenting and you're, wow. <laughs> just trying to, you know. It's magic. I'm magical. Uh, you know, it almost feels like I got to split myself in two. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if I could clone a Joseph. But you know what? Like. I don't complain, right? Because my life is super full, right? It's my life no longer consists of sitting around waiting for money to fall on my face or trying to scam stuff to get 20 bucks, right? Those were the days. Not not in a good way, but oh, man, yeah. When, when you put it like that, that really brings it back because, you know, you get that euphoric recall when you're like thinking about being high and all that but more of my time was spent waiting for that 20 bucks fucking yeah. miserable like yeah. pacing just yeah. nothing inside of me waiting for that and the second something hits like i run to it like oh god it makes my skin crawl thinking yeah you know it reminds me of a of a dr dog lyric um i couldn't tell you what song it is or what album it's on but uh, there's a line where he says, I hate when people say those were the days because what are these then? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to Be look present. that up. Enjoy those days. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're, you're into Dr. Dog. No? Never heard of Dr. Oh, Dog? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Dr. Dog. Oh, I, I, okay, I, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I started spacing out thinking of the lyrics, thinking if I could come up with the song. It's, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll send it to you later. I'll, I can figure it out. Okay. We'll, and we'll um, put it in the Spotify playlist. Yes. Let's do it. Um, hey, Teresa from Arizona. And Jackie is a loyal, loyal listener. Thank you, Jackie, for tuning in. Uh, but let's, uh, enough jibber-jabber? Enough jibber-jabber. Yeah. Unless you got any, uh, yeah, yeah, let's, enough jibber-jabber. No, I don't, I don't got any other updates, man. I, uh, I, I'm really excited for today's guest. When it, uh. When it occurred to me to invite him on the show, I was shocked at my own stupidity at having never thought about inviting Jeff on the show. Uh, but uh, yeah, way to go, stupid. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yep. You know that. Hey, hey there, internal monologue. How, how do you know, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> um, but super excited for for today's guest. Today's guest is a, a, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, someone I respect very much in the industry for their integrity. Uh, had a brief stint as an employee at Recovery Unplugged, um, oh, yeah, and, okay. and and a man that, that that I love very much. I would like to present to y'all, Mr. Jeff Gould. Hello, hello, gentlemen. Hello, Teresa from Arizona. Um, I'm once upon a time from Tucson, so uh, I'm sure it's nice and hot out there. It's hot here, so uh, anyway. Here too. Th Joseph, thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, I, I was excited all day to do this. Very good to be here. So, oh man, I'm glad you're excited about it. Uh, and I, I don't really think we need an icebreaker, but. It's a tradition we do here. We do something called the spinny wheel of songs. So Greg, 
hit it. There once was a wheel, it was a special wheel, it was a magical wheel, it was the best damn wheel, it's the spinny wheel of songs. Da -da -da -da. All right. Every time. All right, let's spin the wheel and see what we're talking about today. Jeff, has anybody ever told you you have a great like radio voice? I have heard that, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. You should do some ASMR. Oh, songs that make you feel alive. Ooh, a song that makes me feel alive. Jason, are you ready? Do you got one? Yes, and it's not Alive by, what, what's that band? P.O.D. <laughs> Definitely not oh, that song. Oh. That song does not make me feel alive. But I will have to say Young Americans by David Bowie. Ooh, ooh. Never, never fails. Very nice. You know, so believe it or not, my recent go-to for when I want to feel connected to the soul of the universe is the ABBA classic, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme a Man After Midnight. Just that little flute riff that intro, in my that, soul. That that the yeah. beginning intro of that song you'd be hard pressed to find a better eight to ten seconds of uh of listening pleasure and believe it or not i recently was was in a a club environment and they they dropped that chorus in the middle of another song and that chorus slaps i mean the whole crowd yelling gimme 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 a man after midnight is <laughs> It's an experience not to be missed. Nice. <laughs> All right, Jeff, you're our guest, so you get to go last. What's your song that makes you feel alive? Okay, so I'm not trying to be hip and be like super obscure, um, but I've discovered a song by a band called Future Generations called Thunder in the City, and me and Hillary, when we're driving, we just crank that thing up. It's kind of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of poppy. It's kind of techno a little bit, a little bit out of my sort of rock and roll box that I live my life in, but it just makes me feel good. So if you're out there, future generations, thunder in the city and just turn it up. And by like the end of the play, you'll be like, yeah, like this is it, man. This is the song. So anyway, yeah. I'll check well, it out for sure. Yeah. And so uh, everybody who's, who's listening, you know, you guys know, but Jeff doesn't know this. We keep a Spotify playlist where we put all of the recommendations. So uh, Jeff's choice uh, will be available for all of y'all's streaming uh, enjoyment. Uh, it's really great at the gym. So check it out. Um, so let's get into it, right? Jeffrey, uh, you know, who are you? What do you do? How'd you end up here? Give us... I, I, you're a, a verbose gentleman, so give us the short version. The short version. So I'm a guy who was born in South Bay, um, Los Angeles. Uh, dad was married six times, which is a whole other story there. But we, uh, we, you know, we split, and mom split when we were five, and she wanted to raise her kids in um, on the God forbidden East Side of Tucson, Arizona, which was like. When you when you're dreaming of rock and roll, I mean the east side of Tucson, super lame, like golf courses. Although I will say, and I know this is a rock based podcast, I went to Santa Rita High School, which if you're a super suckers fan, 
you know the song Santa Rita High. And I did, in fact, went to high school with the Super Sun. And they were pretty lame back then. I'll admit it. Like, I've kind of chided them a little bit. Like, you guys were you guys were kind of posers. I'll, I'll admit. Anyway. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey. Jeff, wasn't, wasn't, isn't Jimmy Eat World from Tucson, too? That I don't know. That I don't I, know. I think they're from Arizona. I'm pretty sure they're from Arizona. But I don't remember if it was Tucson or maybe Mesa. Right. So let's see. Couple of traumatic brain injuries. It's part of what I do. Um, kind of a, you know, it's certainly a long and, and really slow and grinding process of addiction, heroin and alcohol and speed and living on the streets. Um, but I sobered up. Uh, November will be 20 years ago. All have been sober. And um, yes. yeah, came out to Texas. Wasn't someplace. Uh, Dallas would not have cracked my top 10 of places I wanted to go. Um, but I found myself here. Circum circumstances brought me here and the money was really pretty good. And it was a fresh start. And I got to tell you, I mean, Dallas is a bit like the L.A. of Texas, right? It's very kind of what you drive and how you look. That is accurate. But, yeah, but I like it. Like people are friendly. The city's clean. Downtown's lovely at night. Um, it's got a lot of good rock and roll clubs in Deep Ellum. It's been a really good place for me to get my feet situated. And I run, um, I like to say I run a counseling agency, although it's not so much a brick and mortar thing, but there's five of us. Um, we do, we specialize in tra working with traumatic brain injury and substance use disorder, which is like functional medicine and microcurrent treatments and neurofeedback and um and coaching and stuff and then i'm an interventionist and have been um for 10 years actually helping rewrite the test uh, that other interventionists take now through pennsylvania state on a specialized subcommittee i was really honored to be asked to be on that committee but uh for those out there that have seen the show um a and e intervention yeah, not unlike that. I've been doing that for 10 years, putting people in facilities and hospitalization and treatment that uh, that have kind of been running their family ragged and, and things like that. So that's that's my life in a nutshell. Is that a small enough box, so short enough? That, short that, enough is a, okay. that is Austin Powers in a nutshell. Oh, a minute. Nobody got that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Can y'all hear me? Okay. Now I can. Yeah, I froze for a second. I got scared. Mm -hmm. I thought I was oh, going to no. have to start asking but, questions. So, but Jeff, we got to rewind a little bit. You really just you, you glossed over. You're like, yeah. So I got a couple traumatic brain injuries. Moving on. I mean, since you know we're going to be talking about TBIs, like I, I'm really curious how you got your traumatic brain injuries. Well, l let me start and rewind. You know, if you stay sober long enough. Whether you intend to or not, you know, especially there's a process called inventory and 12 steps, but, but there's kind of a looking back process where you're kind of autopsy in your life, either through treatment or counseling or kind of like a, like a what went wrong, you know, kind of thing, almost like a football team when they get skunked. It's coach pulls it. Okay, let's review the tape. Let's review the. And one of the things that was so curious to me, Joseph, because I began to see working in treatment, I began to see parts of myself in the clients I was working with. Like we had these Russian orphanage kids that were like, push, pull, I love you, I hate you. And and they were super dodgy and super emotional. And I was like, God, I relate to that a little bit. And I looked up and like, oh, they have attachment disorder. And then how do you get that? And then I'm like, you know, my childhood was a little like that. So, so here I am kind of figuring out the pieces of 
what went wrong. But there was a piece I could never explain to myself. And I'm talking, I'm 15 years sober. And I was always like, and not to be dark or morbid, I think this show's got like a nice light air to it. But there was a period of time between 13 and 19 where I really thought I was possessed by the devil. There was a series of like really, I would say kind of like like really dark thought patterns, like really, I mean, I went from this happy kid that's playing soccer and playing with Legos and stuff to all of a sudden just dreaming about being eaten alive by wolves. It just seemed like overnight. And I, and I never really knew what had happened. And it wasn't until I was working on an intervention case in Roanoke, Virginia, and I was trying to assemble my data, like, why did this girl beat up her mother? Why did this girl run away? Why did this girl just text her mom saying she's going to sell herself on back pages that came from a really good like Christian home? And anyway, I probably said too much. I'm like riding the edge of hippie here. But anyway, there was a lot going on with this girl. And, uh, and what I saw was that she had been in a car wreck and her personality changed. And all of a sudden, I found myself assembling the data of my own pieces. Like, wait a minute. When I was 11 years old, I tried to jump a BMX bike over a picnic table. And I mean, ass over hat, just knocked myself out unconscious. And that was when I picked up what you call Erlen syndrome, like squinty eyes, like headaches, like sensitive to light. And then two years later with the same friend I was riding a book with, uh, riding a bike with, um, I was at his house and for some reason the doors were off the hinges and I was laying on the ground reading a comic book and somehow one of these doors that was leaning up against the wall, maybe they were painting or something, but the door tipped, yeah, and started just toppled and just started swinging down. And I remember him telling me, hey, look out. And right as I looked up, the, the corner of that door cracked me across the face and Ooh. with it it took about it took about 10 teeth it um like the whole oh, top wow. kind of half of my jawbone kind of curved and went up into where the teeth that were left i mean it was massive instant maxiofacial emergency surgery and you know 10 root canals later 13 or whatever a couple months later and my whole head was kind of geared shut and like wired shut and stuff and all of a sudden after that, I was so emotionally unhinged, so sensitive to criticism, so dark and like, and just, um, you know, hateful inside myself. And Jason and I were talking a little bit about music um, coming into this. And the good thing was, was um, I don't know if it helped me or hurt me or if it just was what it was, but I found some pretty dark stuff to plug into that probably saved my life at the time right like when i started meeting guys that were playing in these like these like really underground bands like really fast like really aggressive music and 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 that scenery fit the way i felt inside and so that became my kind of nest from like 1985 you know until i don't know well into the 90s until well so into, like yeah so like as dark as it was, it gave you like a like a sense of community, a sense of like maybe other people feel the way I feel, kind of normalize that a little bit for you. Yeah, is that what I'm hearing? Sure. sure. And, and and it's how old funny. were you, Jeff? I'm sorry. How old were you when when the the door fell off and hit you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the these are the years when you're already like 
Who am I? What's going on? Why am I feeling this way? Angry for no reason. And then you you get this injury. And this is decades before there, there, people know what what happens when you get, you know, traumatic brain injuries and how it affects you for the rest of your life. So you're, you're going through your normal right. growing pains stacked with this. And then... Right. And then you find punk rock. Or, and then we or threw some rock. drugs on top of that, too. And some Right. And, and if I were to parse them out, you know, so there's a line in the back of a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says he will eventually reach a point where he cannot picture life with it or without it. He will be at the end at the jumping off place. Now, presumably, they're talking about a man in his mid-50s. But that with or without it spot, I started from the place that they talked about ending up at where it was so like just unhinged and destructive right out of the gate. And there were so many consequences right from the beginning. And it was like, you know, I can't picture moving forward, continuing to do this. And yet I can't picture not doing it. So you just kind of seatbelt yourself on for like the roller coaster of doom. Like, here we go. I know this is leading nowhere good. I, I wasn't one of those guys that had a number of good years. And then and then I was in the delusion like, nah, it's fine. Like, no, I knew it was a train wreck from, I mean, you guys, my first automobile, it was like, it, it was given to me at like 16 with like a bow on it. And I like told my best friend, I'm like, it was I would say he dared me, but it was really like I dare myself. Like, hey, dude, do you dare me to chug the water out of this bong? And we like slammed the car into this house, almost killing an infant like 10, you know, 10, 15 minutes later. And the paramedics are there and the baby's crying and the mother's like holding the baby, like screaming at me. And the husband comes home from the card game and I'm just sitting there and I just knew like, yeah, this isn't going anywhere good. And and that was the beginning right and and on it went for 14 more years so god jeff i love your stories man um they're just anyway um i so somewhere in the back of my brain i feel like there's a cool story about the day that you got sober like i want to say something about a homeless guy with like a punk rock jacket involved am i am i crazy or or um let me see. I mean, I remember the day I got sober. <laughs> I got punched well, yeah. in the face. I got punched in the face, Joseph. Like, I mean, he just he punched me right into the rooms of recovery. Like he hit me so hard. And uh was it a homeless guy? No, no, no. It, oh. His name was Bull, if that tells you anything. He had just got out of the joint out of Arizona State Penitentiary <laughs> and thought, you know, accused me of whatever, like going through some girl's purse, you know, like stupid street stuff. Like, what were you doing going through Kelly's purse? And it was one of the things, like, you ever, like, okay, here's some street stuff. You ever get caught where your gut's telling you, defend yourself, and you go to say, but here's the thing, I wasn't, and it's like, you were wait, and then the next thing you know, you get hit, right? And it's like, yeah, you. There was a missed opportunity there yeah. to either put your hands yeah. up or run because it was coming, you know, like a freight train. Yeah. Was, and there's you, nothing anyway. Been decided before. Yeah, all, all, oh, yeah. All, the, all the silver you see in the front of my teeth here, yeah. those are those are from a very similar incident. It's not just a fashion statement. <laughs> so you met Bull. <laughs> yeah, I met I met the the Florida equivalent of Bull. So what was his I kind of. I kind of dust myself like Greg off or something. and um, 
I dust myself off and I walk downtown Tucson and there's a social services agency. It used to be called Cope on 101 South Stone. And I walk in there and there was a guy, gay guy that I'd known from high school that had been a caseworker. And I wasn't on their caseload, but he had always kind of taken a liking to me and he would give me food box and, you know, other harm reductionist kind of stuff that they would do for the homeless. And, and he had always showed favor on me. Well, he had been seeing me around for six weeks and unbeknownst to me, he had already kind of teed me up with a free treatment bed and was just waiting for me to show up again. Now it's funny, this convergence of like events, like the, like the synchronicity that is really the miracle at which the point of recovery is because I walked in there to get a bus pass to go drink in Menlo Park. That was my only intention was like, hey, let me get a bus pass. And you had to sign out a sheet where you're going to a doctor's appointment or a dentist, you know, whatever. And so um, I left it blank and they said, well, where are you going? And I was like, um, detox. It was the first lie I could think of that came to my mind that sounded reasonable, right? Yeah. And and he comes out of the back office and he's like, tell you what, you don't need a bus pass. Um, I'll give you a ride. And something <laughs> like an intuitive thought happened. It was like a gift from the universe. And it was like, uh, I very rarely tell this story, but it felt like this, something very metaphysical and unseen woke up in my stomach and it told this power told me um if you don't get in that car you're dead i cannot keep you safe out here any longer and i was just like okay so i went around the corner and i told these like street people that were there i was like hey i have a funny feeling i'm never gonna see you again and i went back inside um and got in the car and we went and that and i had no and and it's it's you know, Joseph, one of the things about this, you know, I, I don't want to use the word miracle or whatever, get too Christian about it. But one of the things that's so funny about this recovery process for me is as passionate as I am about the subject, I don't ever really remember making a decision to get sober. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It just it kind just, of. Yeah. It just sort of developed. I mean, I remember, well, anyway, anonymity, I'm not going to go into that stuff, but I remember making another crucial decision. Ed, that came a few months later, but I don't ever really remember deciding that recovery was a good idea, that it was something I wanted to do, that I was tired of quitting drinking, nothing like that. Just didn't happen like that. Right. So. And, you know, to, to the normie, stories like this sound like, oh, my God, like, you should write a book. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. But go to a couple meetings and you hear these stories time and time again, like how common it is that it's just like, I don't know what intervened, but something happened. I stepped off a bus and there was this guy right there ready to, you know what I mean? Like all these things, like where it's just like this one moment in time where you could have very easily taken a left instead of a right. But for some reason, this little thing happened and it just, the dominoes started falling and then here we are. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, it, and it's very common. It's just like, I always say it's like an, like I had an antenna out when I was looking for trouble, when I was looking for, you know, when I was looking for dope or if I was looking for whatever it was, my antenna was up and I could find it anywhere. And then somehow when I was ready for help or when somebody's ready for help, like these little things happen where it's just like, I don't know how it happened. I don't know why it happened, but it definitely happened. Right, right. For sure. Like, one thing that's real cool in recovery is how, like, 
like you're saying, right? Like these 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 miraculous kind of wild out there things become very common, right? You hear everybody. We've all got friends who've got stories that that share some of the same colors as Jeff's story, right? But then also like the common things become very miraculous to us, right? Like um, the like being able to pay rent without uh, selling drugs, right? Uh, not not getting drunk for a year at a time, not getting arrested for a long period of time. Like those are all little tiny, you know, miracles that are just commonplace. You know what I mean? It's like a flip flop kind of happens, right? I and I find you know in the beginning. It, it was like the earth had to almost like move in like three different directions at once because I was in so deep, you guys. I was in so much trouble. So there were like these huge miracles like in the courtroom, like I was looking at eight to 20 years and um, just, if, you know, that's what a meth lab will get you know, when you're caught with one. And and uh, in a number of things like that, that just happened, that just really set me up with favorable circumstances. And I don't know, Joseph, anymore, like, you know, at 20 years sober, you're like, you know what? The toaster fixed itself. We were getting ready to buy a new one. And it's just like, <laughs> it's working fine. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, it's, they're less pronounced, but, and you, you appreciate them just as much somehow. So yeah, yeah. that's what, that's what a life I mean, gratitude will do. When my mind and my spirit is right, I appreciate them. Right. right. Sometimes, yeah. right. sometimes I get a little sideways, but so, so Jeff, one thing that's really exciting to me about having you on the show today is that, you know, TBI is one of the the areas of addiction and mental health that I don't know a ton about, and that you're you're an expert on. So, so for my for my own edification and for our guests at home, you know, what is a TBI? So TBI is um, is traumatic brain injury, right? Um, and it can and that can take. Um, as many different forms as the person who's who's carrying it. So I work a little bit. I'm a workshop leader with a group called Healed Brain. That's an online series of free workshops, and all those people are have had stroke and vascular injury, right? Like these are all people recovering from a stroke. Few have substance use disorder and other things. And then I also participate in a CTE group. Now, CTE is a little bit different because CTE is the result of subconcussive blows to where technically they're not, um, they're not, uh, not, not none of them in and of themselves would be considered a traumatic brain injury, except if you get a thousand of them, subconcussive blows, what it results in is chronic traumatic insulin encephalopathy i think i'm saying that right like it's it's really a mouthful and that's a degenerative uh neurological disorder where especially like there's some things you can do to cut some of the symptoms but you're you're really teed up for a life of suffering but i think of tbi um oftentimes as a singular event that's had a catastrophic like kind of result on on the person who's hit their head now here's where it gets tricky and like i'm, I'm not going to spend too much time in this but i want to get into a little bit because it's kind of yeah, controversial let's go in western medicine there there's two things they're looking for you can walk into an emergency room having fallen off a ladder and they're going to give you the most basic scan a ct or an mri and they're looking for two things have you had a stroke and is there a bleed going on inside your skull 
And is your skull cracked? And is your skull actually fractured? Those would be the two things of huge concern. Now, short of either of those two things going, they're like clean bill of health. You're free to go. It's exactly what happened to me and send you walking out the door with a lifetime's worth of problems, um, with a lifetime's worth of neurological problems, with a lifetime's worth of emotional problems. I mean, I'll give you, like, here's just one piece of what we talk about. I find this so interesting. So some of what I've been working on, Joseph, is how you take complex medical concepts and boil them down into like eighth grade language so people can understand it. But, but so- That's how you know someone's an expert. They can explain well, something right. really simply. So there's a thing in the brain called the pituitary gland. It's it's between the two lobes and it's very it looks like a wilted tulip and it's almost like rice paper. It's super small and it's too, super delicate and outside of governing um, everything that happens to your body, the way you think and the way you feel, it really does very little. You know what I mean? It only does everything. And, and so by that, I mean, I, here's how I think of it. So, you know, those people that like you know, in, anymore, they have these 3D printers, and it's like, we printed a yeah. 3D BMW motorcycle. We 3D printed our own house on a printer. So your body is basically a 3D printer of itself. And that's to say every single person on this website has an entirely new skeleton down to the last cell than the one you had in 2012. You have an entirely new bloodstream than the one you had in January. You have an entirely new skin suit than the one you had in February. These things are like, like these things are always replicating themselves up to and including the injuries we inherit. Like we'll just, and it's like, and so what's creating that? Well, your hormones are both the ink and the printer that's replicating that program over and over and over. Like every freckle needs to be told to be a freckle, right? And so we all have 50 of them. We actually have the same 50 hormones as a giraffe, as a raccoon, as a dog, as a cat, as a horse. It's all the same. There's, there's these 50, you know, you've got your T3 and your T4 and your progesterone and cortisol. And they all have different functions and they're different little messengers, right? That, and, and, and I think of it as like the brain's post office box that sends out millions of pieces of mail every day telling everything what to do. And I think of it as like a stereo equalizer, like there's a level, a homeostatic level where things are set to where we're either comfortable or if we're in addiction, we're comfortably uncomfortable. But it, it's our it's our state of homeostasis, whatever that is. And so what happens is and now picture a Greyhound bus slamming into the post office. And there's mail and paper flying through the air and like in some of the routes are stopped and some of the mailmen aren't doing so good and so on and so forth. And what's usually going to happen is your human growth HGH, human growth hormone, human growth hormone is going to go through the floor, which is your brain's only real ability to repair itself and actually heal. And then when all those levels like the stereo equalizer, when those get out of whack, you ain't going to feel good. You're going to feel happy and you're going to feel sad. And part of my mission statement, um, I often wonder with, with as much, with the rough and tumble lifestyle that comes in out with alcoholism, I often wonder when we're bringing people in, in treatment and they're emotional, like why wouldn't they be? Addiction is emotional, right? But yeah. sometimes I think we're not asking the right questions. Like, hey, dude, have you fallen off a ladder any time in the last six months? Have you fallen off or have you fallen down some stairs? Have you hit your head on the steering wheel? Because if you have, 
what's end what's going to end up two months later looking like mental illness is actually a mental injury that has been unable to heal itself and it's going to result in brain fog it's going to result in memory impairment and it's going to result in highs and lows that are going to look a lot like bipolar a lot like borderline personality disorder and the thing is is and they but they need to be treated differently this isn't a medication thing this is a let's rehabilitate the injury thing let's get some blood work thing and see where your hormones are at let's get some microcurrent treatments going let's give you some neurofeedback and some self-regulation technique and above and beyond all um um, the best thing you can do for yourself if you're out there, and this is really like pushing water uphill, but um, if you really need, want to and have the need to recover, take all the inflammation out of your brain. Um, quit doing the things that are bad for your brain, like smoking cigarettes and start drinking four liters of water a day. Cut your carbs in half, or if you're like me, cut your carbs down to zero and just take all the inflammation out and picture. It's, almost, it's no different, Joseph, than having a red swollen knee or a red swollen ankle or, or a shoulder that's like really tight and really sore. It needs microcurrent. It needs oxygen-rich blood flow. It needs for the inflammation to come out of there so it can breathe and, and receive nutrients and heal. Everything heals on the same principle. You know what I mean? Yes, and you're so blowing my mind, buddy. Yeah. Right, right. So I, anyway, I can, I can honestly say that in all the years of me going to treatment and doing pre screens and assessments, no one ever asked me, like, have you had a head injury lately or right. ever? Right. Yeah. Well, so yeah. here's a really, and this is an industry thing, but here's a really controversial con. Every treatment center I've ever worked, you know, most of the programs I've ever worked in, they always called it a presenting issue and they never called it a comorbidity, which it is because and I think I'm just making this up. But I think the second you call it a comorbidity, now you're responsible to treat it like it was bipolar or schizophrenia or something like. And so if you're dual diagnosis and you come in and you have two things going on. We should be treating both, but and I don't mean there's. It's like there's some bad programs. I mean almost universally across the board in substance abuse treatment, we don't treat traumatic brain injury as we treat it like you have club foot or dyslexia or something. We don't treat it as like, hey, there's a really complicating piece of this case that's going to interrupt the flow of treatment. If this person is real TBI, they're not going to take to the program like everybody else because either they have so much brain fog that they can't hear it or so much memory loss that they can't remember it or their highs are so high and their lows are so low, they're going to ASA before anybody gets a chance to really have an impact on their life. And so, so, uh, mm -hmm. so when you talk about that, right, like I think about how often in, in traditional treatment, right, when someone relapses or, uh, you know, AMAs or, or doesn't attend programming, right, we just chalk it up to the person not being willing enough. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and very often you'll hear in treatment, right? Oh, you know, I guess he wasn't done. You know, go have yourself an experience and, mm -hmm. and come back when you're ready. And, and this, you know, there isn't a lot of thought as to like, why is this person who yesterday was desperate to come get help? Why right. are they all of a sudden so resistant and unwilling? Right. And, and here's the stigma with TBI. And listen, you guys, I'm about to own something with you because like what, when I say this statement, I'm going to raise my hand and say guilty is charged also. It's the reason I thought of it. 
but yeah. but the next time you're in a grocery store and you see somebody with one leg you'll notice that there's a sphere around them of maybe a 20-foot circle of some sort of reasonable acknowledgement where people push their shopping cart out of the way or it's like, please, after you, no, no, you go ahead, buddy. Hey, you doing yeah. okay? You know, or or they'll just kind of nod their head like, mm, man, like that's got to be tough, you know. But there's there's an acknowledgement in a circle around them, right, of, of whatever the injury is. They have one arm. They have one leg. There's a clear disability. But when you're talking about a brain injury, right, this is embedded in here. And so when the person starts um, presenting their symptom to the rest of the group. Well, I don't want to go out, get out of bed. Well, my head hurts. Well, I don't feel good. Well, I can't stop crying. They're all, the room almost reads them like a hypochondriac. Oh, grow yeah, up. But yeah. Grow up. You know what I mean? And they're, and they're not accommodating the injury like they would any other injury. And I got to tell you, I worked in treatment long before I assembled my own data and we had some people in that and it was just like, snap your fingers. Like, Buddy, what's it going to take to get you to get with the program? And I was saying that based on a fundamental misunderstanding at the time of what it was like to be in their shoes. And that's even with me being one of them, right? Yeah. And, I, yeah. I remember, I mean, this had to be 13, 14 years ago when um, Celebrity Rehab came on. And um, Gary Busey was on there. <clears throat> and people were just like, this guy is a bat shit fucking nut job. And then Dr. Drupinski explained that he had a motorcycle accident and it was because of this traumatic brain injury that it, you know, it changed his personality. And even with a doctor telling that this whole group of people that they were still just like, nah, this guy's just fucking nuts, you know? And yeah. that was the first time that I, that I ever really became aware of something like that. Like just took, cause his family didn't understand like why his, his personality just seemed to be changing. Like it, it, it continuously got worse and worse and worse compiled with the drug and alcohol, you know, that he was throwing on top of it. But I mean, even with people tell, like medical professionals telling people like this, you, you have to address this as a serious issue. And they're just like, well, it makes me uncomfortable. So I don't want to have to deal with it. You know, Jason, if I could make a, a comment. Go ahead. On that. Go ahead, Jeff. And, and I'm not, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug and it's not really for the plug, but it's to demonstrate something. So I wrote a book about my experience growing up with an undiagnosed traumatic brain injury, which has since been confirmed, but I can't tell you how many people reached out to me and they said something like this. They're like, look, dude, I was just reading your book for pleasure, just for a good read. I, I you know, and, and as I'm reading it, they started remembering their own stuff. And like one guy said, he's like, you know. I never thought about this in my entire life, categorically never thought it fit. But I remember after reading the book that I was a shy kid and I was a wallflower kid. And one day I'm out on the pitcher's mound and boom, get hit in the head with a softball. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only lights out for about five seconds. And, and then two weeks later, I'm that kind of like jackass skateboard kid, like doing a double backflip off the apartment pool. And he's like, and it changed me. And I never, I never assembled the data and put those two events together. And sometimes it's just a subtle shift in your personality. Like you're a little bit this way and you get hit in the head and suddenly you're a little bit that way. And you're just, you're just different. Things are different. 
all the way up the scale to being completely disabled, either in motor functions, either in thought patterns, either just like being wildly, wildly unhinged and everything so, in between. I've, I've got a question, you know, so, so we talk a lot about like recovery being a journey, right? It's like this process mm -hmm. that you kind of continue on, you know, if you're truly in, in recovery, right? So I'm curious, you know, you, you spend the majority of your recovery having no knowledge or awareness or understanding of TBI or that, you know, you, you hadn't even figured out that you had one. So, like, how did your recovery change once you just, you know, discovered your TBI and began to to uh, treat your TBI? Like, how did it impact your recovery? How did it improve it? How did it change it? Well, for one thing, Joseph, I felt really vindicated. Um, you know, I've spent so much of my past two or three years in additional learning and certification in PubMed, in science, you know, research journals, in chat rooms, in talking with other people, in studying the latest, you know, most of what's really effective with brain injury um, is not covered by insurance. So it's considered experimental medicine or whatever. And yet it's things that really work anyway. So one of the things that began to happen with me is I was vindicated. Like, um, you know, people have told me, they're like, you don't seem to have problems with your motor skills. You have TBI. But then if you spent enough time with me, like Marie, our friend Marie, who's a therapist, she told me, yeah, dude, you're kind of an odd duck. I picked it up after a couple of spending a couple of days with you. You know what I mean? So it showed up in more subtle ways. But some of the vindication I received was like, as an example, I've I'd always had a terrible time making direct eye contact with people. It's like if I stared somebody in the face too long, I begin to feel this immense pressure building up between my eyes and a forehead. It was almost like a sharp and jagged pain between my eyes that I'm you now I'm looking at the wall or looking at my ceiling or looking at the feet. And the few people that have called me on it always told me like um they intimated that there was something really wrong with my character. I've had a therapist tell me like, maybe you're a compulsive liar, a sociopath or something. I don't know. Like what, what, what is it with you and the eye contact thing? And as I'm looking at her, I feel this sharp pain in my forehead. I'm trying to stare at her and make a connection and tell her, I don't know. Well, it's not until I met Dr. Gerald Kopernicki who taught me all about ocular motor dysfunction. You have, you have eight sets of muscles and two sets of cable that hold the eyes in place. I don't know if you know this, but 60%, yeah, 60 of your caloric intake is, is used. Like every hamburger you eat, 60% of that is burned, um, basically processing visual information, three dimensions, very spatial. You know, the traffic light is 60 feet away and there are six cars at varying, like that, that takes a massive amount of energy. Yeah, it's, it's there's a massive amount of information that we see at all times. Yeah, right. that makes sense. And when you get hit in the head, it's almost like just that sudden jerk. Sudden, for some reason, it's almost like it's almost like deadlifting more than you're comfortable with, and you pinch it halfway up, and all of a sudden, all those muscles strain and they twist, and they're just, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh my god, my back, and now you're jacked up, right? That's what happens to all those muscles, and it, it, it creates what's called ocular motor dysfunction. So I had this doctor tell me, and he let me off the hook, and he's like, you're not a sociopath. You don't have a trouble being honest. He said, he said, try and stare at a banana for 15 seconds and tell me how you feel. And all of a sudden, I started feeling that sharp pain again. And he's like, 
it's not eyesight, dude. It's not looking at the people in the eye. It was any fixed point of focal concentration was always going to give you trouble. And everybody around you was misreading it your whole life. So, so how liberating was that when you were like, when you found that out, when you were like, oh, so here's what it is. There's an answer to this. And, you know, it, it's not something that's, you know, it's not my character, A. And B, um, now I could look into fixing it, which is right. something that we learn in recovery, you know? Right. It, I mean, it was like tears, I'll be honest. It was tears and it was very vindicating and it was very liberating. And it's, it's really, you know, <clears throat> this kind of thing happens when we go through the steps. And I, Joseph, I, I don't know if, if you're at this place in recovery yet, but this thing kind of happens when we go through the steps where we really take responsibility and we get to this place in our recovery where we're like, I get it. It was all my fault. I owe amends the, the, the reason the Christmases were ruined. Like that was all me, you know, me, I got it. You know what I mean? I'll make amends for it. But then you since arrive at this later point on the path where you realize that that it was stage specific, that part of your recovery was necessary to get that. That was all my fault. But then I've come to understand to a deeper understanding, and this is just on the addiction side, that I was driven to do those things, right? It yeah. says, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, I was placed in an impossible position to where my best option at the time was to do those things. And so it's like, so you kind of get to the point where like, I've taken, now that I've taken responsibility for it, I don't know that it was my fault. It's the way it was, and I needed to take responsibility for it. And then on the TBI side of things, it was very liberating to be like, you're not broken and you're not damaged and you're not sick and you're not messed up. You're a guy that's had a physical injury that just like any other injury has come along with some symptoms. And, you know, but, you know, your alcoholism can wrap itself around something or addiction and be like, you know, you get too many headaches and it's like, God, I got a brain tumor. You, you, we, 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 we don't know how to read ourselves. And so we always read it in a negative light. And I finally got to the point where I'm kind of liberated from all those stories. Like, no, I'm a kid that had a tough childhood that was driven to do a lot of things that had a brain injury. And considering what I'm coming from, I'm doing fantastic. You know what I mean? Like, really, you know, I think, I truth. think I have found that. I think I found it first. For other people, though, you know what I mean? Like, you know, looking at bad behavior that we see come from folks who are in their addiction or or just coming out of addiction and and trying to find some grace for them, you know, led me to discover a grace for myself, which, you know, I mean, you heard my joke about my internal monologue, right? Sometimes sometimes they're better than others. But, um, yeah, I think I, I definitely uh, understand what you're saying and have experienced some of that myself. Right. Right. So it's so been we're, neat. We're getting, we're getting short on time, Jeff. So I know, um, I know. I think you've done a fantastic job kind of explaining to all of us like TBI and the different ramifications that can come from it and all that kind of stuff. But I'd like to kind of pivot a little bit to some of the hope stuff. Right. So like, okay. um, cause, cause you know, it is treatable. There are interventions. There are things that can be done to improve, folks who have TBI's lives, right? So I'd love it if you would talk just a little bit about some of that stuff. Well, I'll start like off by about magnetic stuff and all that. Mm -hmm. all that cool I'm going to start off by saying um, there's resources out there and lots of grants 
that um, are driving a few programs, Concu Concussion Legacy Foundation being one. Um, there's something called um, BIND here in Dallas is another BIND in Fort Worth, which means Brain Injury Network of Dallas, right? Um, and, and there's these kind of clubhouses popping up around the country that do voc rehab and different kinds of things and have, have like an intro to neurology. But um, as far as what's available to you, um, if, if you're a person that has resources, hyperbaric oxygen, which is what they used to put scuba divers in when they would mess themselves up, that's going to be, that's kind of the gray goose of like, I always, I always use like references. That's like the gray goose, like the top shelf of treatment. Now, short of that, there's thing, a thing called Alpha Stem that both the National Football League and the VA uses for people that are coming either off the field with a concussion or coming back from Afghanistan that have been exposed to a bomb blast. That's a microcurrent device that will push your brain into alpha waves. It'll pull you up out of delta waves, out of depression, or it'll pull you down out of gamma waves, out of anxiety. And it'll just kind of from the inside out, it's almost like a TENS machine for your brain, but at a much milder current. And, and the alpha wave is pretty much the healthiest bandwidth and brainwave. Um, you can look that up offline. That's alpha stim, S-T-I-M, and that's going to be effective. And you guys, again, I'm a big believer in functional medicine. I'm a big believer in integrative medicine. And the, and the truth is, is food has the power to change anything if you can give yourself over to it. And I know that's hard for people with addiction and brain injury that are like living off McDonald's, but I'd be I remiss to yeah, I'd be remiss to say it's like really bad for you. You know what I mean? It's the, what everything you put in your body affects the cell wall on the other side of it and, and up to and including all the ingredients. Joseph, I'm kind of turning into a hippie. It's a little weird for me too, I'll admit. <laughs> I'll admit, but I'm like kind of turning into like a granola hippie. You know what I mean? So I've just you, learned as too long much. As, you, as long as you're still going to the gym and lifting, you cannot be classified as a hippie. There you go. It so, counterbalances. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting my Reiki one and Reiki two certification, and and because I'm start like again, I'm kind of you know going down that path, but uh, but it's I the figured that would be like uh, woo woo. Mm -hmm. It's a, and it's a useful tool for what I'm doing. So I'm anything that helps Eastern medicine, Western medicine, functional medicine, experimental medicine. I come at it from every and any angle when I'm coaching somebody. Let's find out kind of like what Recovery Unplugged does on our treatment modality. Let's come at it from every angle and find out what works for you. And then we'll go with that. Right. So love it. You know, Jeff, I got to tell you. Uh, I feel like me and Jason were really not necessary for today's episode. Like, it's been like, Jeff, talk. This has been my it, TED talk. would have just unloaded this amazing hour of, of thought. I love the way your brain works. But we are getting towards the end of our time. So yep. we like to traditionally close things out with something that we call uh, rapid fire question time. Okay. It's rapid fire question time. All right. So, Jeff, you mentioned earlier that you've got almost 20 years sober. How many days do you think you've been sober? Quick. 8,211. I'm just guessing. <laughs> We're going to try that. Okay. I'll have to take your word for it. If Dr. Bob Smith played professional hockey, what team would he be on and what position would he play? 
Oh, I feel like he would p- play for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I feel like he would be a right-handed defenseman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I love how quickly you came that up was, with that, that answer. That was quick, yeah. <laughs> All right, if you could pick one punk band to follow you around and provide background music for your life, what band would it be? Oh, now you're killing me. That's so hard. Let me go with something current. Um, we were just talking about, you know what? We'll go with something kind of vanilla, but we'll say Fugazi. Husker do. Husker do. Final answer. All right. Husker do. Right. Final there answer. Go. Very there nice. There we go. Um, besides the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, what singular book has had the greatest impact on your life? You could plug yourself if you want to. Stephen and Andrea Levine, who are Noah Levine's parents, wrote a book called Turning Towards the Mystery um, that was fantastic. Love it. Love it. And last but not least, um, we're going out. We're going to, uh, to a burrito joint. Build your perfect burrito. Oh. Aren't you carb With free, a carb though? Free like wrap, a, obviously. It could be, it could be a bowl. You know what? So back in Tucson, it was called like the California, right? And it was carne asada, which was steak marinated in lime and Worcestershire mixed with guacamole, tomato, and American cheese, and like a lot of it. And for me, I mean, every time I go back home, I go to a my Arizona peeps, Los Betos. You know what I'm talking about. Man, that's good. So that's some good eating. But here's the thing. And Joseph, I know you know this because you're Spanish. I come from Mexican food. I live in the hood, and we have like lenguas and tripe and like all of it, right? Like all of that, all of, all of the other parts, beef cheek and stuff that you don't normally get. And I'll eat that too. So, oh man, that's nothing cool. goes to waste with with Jeff. Gould. Man, that sounds like there used to be this place here in uh, off of Old Torf called Super Burrito, and they had a uh, something they called like the Californian. It was steak and French fries. Oh yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So good. They also had this one where they took flautas, glued them together with guac, and put them in a burrito. <laughs> Love that. Oh, my God. I'm so hungry. You guys got to stop. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no. You know what? I am, I am actually really hungry. I haven't had dinner. But, um, Jeff, just one more time. I'd like to thank you for, for being here, for taking the time out of your day. It was, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure to just hear you talk. Um, if you guys want to learn more about Jeff and his work, you can check out laboroflovintervention.com. Uh, his book that he mentioned earlier is called A Life Concussed, and it's available on uh, Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. Um, Actually, that's Jeff, not true. To... It's just available on Amazon, but whatever. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have any do you have any closing words you'd like to throw out closing there, Jeff? Thoughts. You guys are a blast. We never got to tell good rock and roll stories. We admitted that whole part, but may, we all right, know, hurry, we, we still got a couple of minutes. Let's let's, yeah, let's hear your your, it. It your was, rock it was story. The rock and roll story, Jeff. So, okay, I don't. I'm gonna try and speed this up. So I I played in a band that was a, we talked about this, Jason. I played in a band when I was 19 that was part of a feminist benefit. We opened for this band called Burning Bush out of Phoenix. And and so, and I remember hearing at the time, like this feminist benefit is sponsored by a band called L7, right? And so fast forward a few years later and L7 was playing. And I had just been in a horrific car accident. I had had my hand cut off, you guys, in a car accident, sewed back on. What? And I'm like, how did we, yeah, how did yeah. we gloss what? over that? <laughs> 
it's it's a long story. So I'm walking up this alley with like my hand stapled on, like, and I've got this sling. And like, you know, I'm walking in the alley and there's just this tour bus just motoring right there. And all of a sudden the door opens up and this girl kind of leans out and it's like, it was Jennifer Finch from L7. And she said, hey, what happened to your hand? And I was like, it got cut off in a car accident. And she was like, no. And, and they all lean out the door and they're like, dude, can we see it? And I said, yeah. And I got on, I took off the bandages and they're like, oh. And, and then I said, hey, I was on a bill that was like, and we started talking music and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Oh, you were that guy. And they're like, and you've been in this horrific car accident and they're kind of drinking and getting kind of flirty with me. And they're like, um, they're like, Hey dude, you want to go on tour with us? Like, we'll just, we'll just, just roll with us and we'll just buy you a bus ticket back from Los Angeles when we get home. And you guys, even after losing my virginity, I suffered from terminal virginity. I was like so shy and so awkward. And, and I'll be honest, it, fr it flipped me out, man. Like I was like, I could feel my skin getting hot. Like, oh no, like I want to say yes. I want to say no. And I didn't do it. Biggest regret of my life, bar none. But, <laughs> but they were playing to a sold out crowd. And I remember it almost makes me cry when I think about it. Because I remember to 2,000 people, the very last thing they'd said was... Uh, and this last song goes out to Jeff and Gould and this, and they started playing American society and just dropped it and just crushed it. And it was like, and I was in a pretty dark spot, dude. And like them dedicating that song to me, lifted me up. But, uh, you know, my one Maybe regret, yeah, my one regret, if I could go back and do that over, dude, <laughs> a bus full bus. of rocking. Just get on the bus and let them do whatever they want, and just be you and do you, and like you're gonna be okay. You'll get home. Dude, that okay. that story you know was I mean? a whirlwind. Like there were layers yeah. on layers. In oh that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Jeff, so you are definitely lessons to be taken from that story. You are definitely the most accident-prone guest we've had to date so far. And it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I learned quite a bit. So I, I really appreciate your time, Jeff. This has been great. Absolutely. Um, hey, after we close it out, hang around for um, get out. Oh, we always seconds. do. We always okay. do. Perfect. Um, okay. Until then, everyone out there in toxicology land, as we like to say, there's a thousand ways in and a thousand ways out. We hope you find yours. Don't forget to like and follow. And subscribe.